Welcome to the second week of June, and we're one day closer to the fall equinox, the winter solstice, and so on, until the solar system simply winds down. In the meantime, there are a lot of items spinning around in this community, and this and every installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement is intended to help you keep track of what twirling plate is on the end of which rapidly rotating rod. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and it is July 8th, 2021, as I record this 213th edition of the show. In today's program, Albemarle supervisors adopt a new housing plan, but leave a few loose ends related to incentivizing developers to build below-market-rate housing units. Governor Northam announces loans to local nonprofit groups to help cover the costs of affordable projects. Blacksburg gets a grant for electric buses, and Amtrak invests in new trains. And Albemarle County retains its AAA bond ratings, and Charlottesville opens up a new round of small business grants. In today's Patreon-fueled shout-out, help support Black-owned businesses in the Charlottesville area. Check out the Charlottesville Black Business Directory at seavilleblackbiz.com and choose between a variety of goods and services, ranging from beauty supplies, professional services, and e-commerce. Visit seavilleblackbiz.com as soon as you can to get started. Three top bond rating agencies have reaffirmed Albemarle County's AAA bond rating, a financial status that gives the county lower interest rates. Albemarle is only one of 10 jurisdictions in Virginia with a top rating from Moody's Investor Services, S&P Global, and Fitch Ratings. According to a press release, Albemarle issued $57.7 million in debt on June 24th to cover the upfront costs of projects such as the additions at Crozet, Red Hill, and Scottsville Elementary Schools. On the same day, Albemarle refinanced another $20.4 million in existing debt, saving $2.5 million in interest payments on projects. According to Albemarle Finance Director Nelsie Birch, the savings will remain in the Capital Projects Fund. As the county embarks on its upcoming fiscal year 23-27 long-range financial planning process, this savings will allow greater flexibility and capacity as we plan for the future. Amtrak has announced $7.3 billion in investment in 83 new trains to replace an aging fleet with an option to purchase over a hundred more. The new trains will be built by Siemens Mobility, a California-based company. Among the routes for which the new rolling stock will roll will be the Northeast Regional Service, which travels between Roanoke and D.C.'s Union Station and points north. Here's a release from Jennifer Mitchell, director of the Virginia Department of Rail and Public Transportation. The Commonwealth is committed to promoting, sustaining, and expanding state-sponsored passenger rail service across Virginia. Replacing a 40-year-old fleet, The new Amtrak trains will help us meet those goals with modern dual-powered engines, improved operations, increased fuel efficiency, and lower carbon emissions in both electric and diesel mode. A second daily Northeast Regional train is expected to begin sometime in 2022. The town of Blacksburg and Blacksburg Transit have received a $5.15 million grant from the Federal Transit Administration to help attain its goal of having an all-electric fleet by 2032. 
The funding comes from the FTA's Low or No Emission, Low No, grant program and is part of a $182 million funding package split up between 49 projects across the country. Here's a release from the Federal Transit Administration. FTA's low-no program supports transit agencies in purchasing or leasing low or no emission buses and other transit vehicles that use technologies such as battery electric and fuel cell power to provide cleaner, more efficient transit service in communities across the country. This year's funding opportunity prioritized applications with an environmental justice component, as well as those that support workforce development to help America's transit workers succeed, even as their jobs change, along with technology. Last month, the director of Charlottesville Area Transit told the Regional Transit Partnership that his agency needs to study the issue further before proceeding with purchase of electric buses. One difference between Blacksburg and Charlottesville is the topography, and Garland Williams said he has to be able to guarantee vehicles are able to reliably climb the city's many hills and retain their charge. You can review the other 48 projects in a link in the newsletter. Charlottesville's Office of Economic Development has announced the next round of a grant program intended to help small businesses in the city. The second round of the Building Resilience Among Charlottesville Entrepreneurs, or BRACE, grant program will open on Monday. The first round distributed funding to 69 businesses in order to help them survive the pandemic. The second is intended to help businesses get through the recovery period. Businesses can apply for up to $2,500 and must make a 30% contribution as part of the request. For more details, visit the city's website or the link in the newsletter. Governor Ralph Northam has announced another $21 million in housing loans for below-market housing that includes additional funding for four area projects. The affordable and special needs housing loans come through the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development. Piedmont Housing Alliance will receive $1.9 million for the first phase of Friendship Court, which will see construction of 106 new units on land that is currently green space. Virginia Supportive Housing will receive $1.46 million for the Premier Circle Permanent Supportive Housing Project on U.S. 29. Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville will receive $1.4 million for home ownership opportunities at Southwood. The Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority will receive $934,000 for the first phase of the South 1st Street Public Housing Project. CRHA will also receive $835,000 in funding for the renovation of Crescent Halls. You can get more details on those projects in the newsletter or in a link to Governor Northam's press release. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement in this subscriber-supported public service announcement. Over the course of the pandemic, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society provided hours and hours of interviews, presentations, and discussions about interpretations and recollections of the past. All of this is available for you to watch for free on the Historical Society's YouTube channel. There's even appearance by me talking about my work on Civilpedia. But there's a lot of other good stuff out there, too. Check out the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society's YouTube channel.
And finally today, the Albemarle County Board of Supervisors has adopted an updated version of its housing policy after amendments were made to make clear that some sections of the plan would not be implemented until after an incentives package for developers is also approved. That had been a sticking point at the public hearing for Housing Albemarle, which was held on June 16th. The 99-page document contains many new requirements for affordable units. For instance, currently developers seeking a rezoning must provide 15% of units as affordable. The plan would raise that to 20%. Mechanisms would be developed such as deed restrictions to guarantee affordable rentals would be required to be below market for a period of 30 years, and that affordable for sale units would be required to be below market for a period of 40 years. A maximum rent for affordable units would be set at one-fourth of 65% of the area median income. Maximum sales price would be 65% of a federal guideline known as the Home Program's one-unit purchase price. And a maximum rent for workforce housing would be capped at 110% of the fair market rent as determined by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Since the June 16th public hearing, the plan was amended to state that all of the above, quote, will follow approval of a package of developer incentives for affordable housing. Supervisor Donna Price said she was concerned that such incentives may not be possible. As I've continued to communicate with developers, there are some concerns about whether we are realistically going to be able to meet those objectives with regard to the um, for sale affordable housing, whether the target metrics that have been set are going to be financially able to then be met. Price said the plan was incomplete without the incentives package. Supervisor Liz Palmer asked when that would come back to the supervisors for approval. Jody Filardo is the community development director for Albemarle County. She said it will take some time. In our last estimate, we created a very broad estimate that had us coming back within the year on those uh, developer incentives. Since the last meeting, we have had one meeting with a a gathering of developers, uh, really for a listening session to hear what the issues were from their perspective. Filardo said ideas from that meeting are being reviewed by staff, and staff will return to the focus group with some potential ideas for incentives. And we expect to have those meetings wrapped up by the end of this month. That said, some of the suggestions from staff are actually going to require zoning ordinance amendments, which are never quick. And so... While we don't think we're working very hard to not have this take a year to get back to you all, um, it is going to take some time because we have a lot of stakeholders we need to vet this through. Stacy Pethia, Albemarle's housing coordinator, said work could begin to implement other parts of the plan while the incentives package is worked out. Out of the um, 12 objectives, um, and I think 49 strategies, um, 40 Three, 42 of those strategies could move forward. If the policy were approved today, we could begin working on everything else that's in there. Pethia said details of the affordability provisions could change as discussions with developers continue. Supervisor Ned Galloway said the plan would be a living document that would change as implementation gets underway. 
if things need to be adjusted, adapted, this isn't as strong as this, this, I mean, there's a ton of details that have to be worked out that this policy is set up. For example, objective six of Housing Albemarle is to create a housing trust fund. Here's what that looks like. Funds can be distributed as either grants or loans to a variety of local partners, including for-profit and non-profit developers, affordable housing service providers, public housing authorities, or local government departments, as well as individual homeowners or landowners. Priorities for the use of housing trust fund dollars can be set to meet local priorities as housing needs change. There are so many details about this trust fund that remain unanswered. That... Um, and we don't know where the board's going to fall on that in terms of, you know, just the, the governance of a trust fund. Where's the money going? Is it going to be one fund, two funds with the current? ton of details. Galloway said that even without an official package of approvals, the board could continue to vote on proposals that are in excess of the current policy. If somebody, if, if we approve this policy today, and someone wants to bring us an application before the defined list of incentives are there, and they have an incentive idea, we can consider it, and we can move, move on it. Nothing holds us back from taking action. Supervisor Price was satisfied with the answers, and the motion to approve the plan was approved unanimously. I'll have more from this meeting of the Albemarle Board of Supervisors in a future newsletter. Finally today, one property rights advocacy group in the area published a report today that makes the argument that Albemarle's rezoning process is preventing creation of more housing stock. The Free Enterprise Forum's white paper is entitled Density Deferred, Density Denied, and examines how three different projects were reduced in size from their original application to the final approved project due to neighborhood opposition. There's a link to the paper in the newsletter, and I'll be appearing with Neil Williamson of the Free Enterprise Forum on the July 9th installment of the Real Talk program, with Keith Smith and Jerry Miller. It begins at 10.15 a.m., and I'm not entirely sure what link to send to you. Do go take a look at our last appearance from June 11th, which has all of eight views as of this recording. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. I'm going to try to do this very quickly today because I have a very finicky microphone which could cut out at any second. And if it does, you won't hear the rest of this announcement, but it has not cut out yet. Just know that uh, if you enjoy this program, please do send it on to somebody else. The best way for this program to continue is to continue to grow the audience. We are about to hit a major milestone, um, which uh, then will be uh, promoted to general. Uh, however, what I would like you to do too is, as well is just think about the things you hear on here and uh, write me a note and tell me uh, how this program's coming together. Obviously, you're listening to the podcast version. Uh, any comments or notes or anything that you have to say about the project will help improve it in the future. Uh, I am hoping to continue doing this for quite a long time and we are very close to the beginning of year two, uh, but we're not there quite yet. So in this next week, um, you know, thank you very much for listening and uh, I hope we're going to be around doing this for quite a long time Uh, and the battery has held up so I will just simply say stay safe out there and we'll be back tomorrow with another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement.